So, good morning. So, we begin first full day of this retreat, and I wanted to begin with a quote from someone called Sextus Empiricus. It's quite a name. So, the beauty and mystery of this world only emerges through affection, attention, interest, and compassion. See this world by attending to its colors, its detail, and above all, its irony. As we arrive here today, as I mentioned last night, the, the, the actual sense of arriving is a process that involves many, many different qualities. Obviously, it involves effort, dedication, intention, perseverance, all of the qualities that really support us in actually setting our feet on a path. And so we mentioned last night, over the first few days of this retreat, we will be speaking mostly about the ways of establishing mindfulness. But I think in this first day, what is really important is to attend to our attitude, to attend to the attitude that we bring. As we all know, that we easily transfer patterns and tendencies from our lives directly into our meditative pathways, you know. And, you know, if you're a great striver in life, it's likely you're going to run into that tendency on your cushion and on your walking path. You know, if you're a person in life who kind of, you know, just sort of floats through you know, you might find in your cushion and your walking path, you count yourself as being quite fortunate if you run into a breath or a present moment every now and again and can feel a bit like an accident. So we need to set not only our intentions, but we need to set our attitude. I think it's not only the Satipatthana Sutta that has so directly impacted upon Western meditative training, it is also the Metta Sutta, the discourse on befriending, the discourse on cultivating our capacity for kindness, for friendliness, for embracing what is with an attitude of care and tenderness. And I think this attitude, particularly in the beginning of a retreat, is, is quite primary. It's quite primary. Without it, we live in a world of judgment and comparing and shaming and self-evaluation. Kindness doesn't mean, you know, indulgence or lack of intention or lack of effort. It really means keeping an eye on our tendencies, our well-hardwired tendencies, to fall into aversion in all of its many manifestations of of judging, of blaming, of, of ill will directed inwardly and directed outwardly. It's sometimes said in the beginning of, uh, not only in the beginning of practice, but right through the path, you know, we need to learn this sort of boundless patience, this boundless patience with all things. You know, one really sees how impatience is one of those elements of of aversion and ill will. You know, it's wanting something to end, demanding that something be different than it is, you know, waiting for something to be over. 
And impatience is one of those one of those factors, one of those qualities that easily arises in our practice, particularly when you know our practice doesn't quite look like what we've read in the books or you know we've, what we've heard about in group meetings. You know, when we're sitting with dullness or restlessness or you know the chaotic mind, the patience, the patience of beginning again, of learning to return. Of learning to bring that generosity inwardly that is is really finds that that willingness just to be to be present with what is to allow to embrace to include the patience and the perseverance you know you, you really see that anything that we 've ever brought to fruition in our lives, anything worthy that we 've brought to completion. It's, it's really asked for so much perseverance, hasn't it? Whether it's raising a child or developing an art or learning to play a musical instrument, it requires that perseverance, that steadiness of remembering what we're doing, remembering our intentions, remembering our aspirations. I would suggest in, in these first few days, you know, and perhaps many, many times during the retreat, we're actually learning to cultivate an inner collectedness, a present moment recollection. The Buddha uses the image of a cow herder over and over again. The cow herder who goes out to, to gather the cows together and to, to lead them to pastures that are nourishing and to stop them from roaming in places that are not nourishing. And I, I quite like these, these sort of metaphors. Uh, the one that I use a lot is, is sheepdogs. You know, the sheepdogs that are trained to, to gather the sheep from the hills in Wales, you know, and trained not to intimidate the sheep, not to frighten them, not to harm them, but really to gather them from fields where, you know, that are worn out and to take them into fields that are nourishing. And I think this is a lot of what we're doing in our practice. You know, we see how often our, 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 our attention are in, is in fields that really don't serve us well. You know, the fields of fantasy and reverie, the, the fields of planning and strategy and rehearsing, the fields of rumination and proliferation. And we're learning to, to gather our attention and to take it to somewhere that actually is more nourishing, more supportive, more inspiring. And where we're taking it to is really this present moment recollection. And it's not a question of, of judging that, those stray, that straying attention or, you know, forcing it. It really needs to be rooted in insight, you know, that those fields really are worn out. They're worn out. And learning to patiently and with perseverance come to this moment, developing this sati or this present moment recollection that is really rooted in the body, in the, in the practice of, of establishing mindfulness. The body is always our greatest ally, you know, this somatic experience. The body is always present moment. You know, not experiencing tomorrow's flu or, you know, the, the cold of 10 years ago. The body is experiencing what is experiencing just now. 
So this is where we learn to ground ourselves. This is where we learn to root ourselves. This is how we learn to, to be our own cow herder inwardly, to gather and to collect and to establish mindfulness just now in this body. Now, this is not an easy journey because this is not where we're accustomed to be. You know, we, we live very much in a, in a conceptual world, most folks. You know, we live very much in our narratives and our stories and our descriptions about what is happening. We see the tendency to, to lean back into what has gone by, to lean forward into what is yet to come. So this present moment recollection is, is quite a radical reorientation in our own minds. And the body really supports this. How do we feel? How does the body feel? How does the body touch the ground? How does the body sense? How does the body see? How does the body touch? This most simple kind of guidance, you know, is one of one that we offer to ourselves, and it is one of returning. We're not only returning from, you know, the habits of, of living in this conceptual world, we're look, look, returning from this, this habit of being somewhat disembodied, somewhat disembodied human beings, you know, who live primarily either in our thoughts or at something at a distance from life. You know, you can see our, our two primary ways of attending to life is either through the, the conceptual mode or it's through the visual mode. You know, we either think about things or we watch things, we look at things, we observe things. And, you know, in, in a sense, in meditative practice, we almost develop that visual mode initially. You know, we, we learn to look at the, the body, we learn to watch the breath, we learn to observe thinking. So in, the, in practice, on one level, we actually develop this capacity as, as, as some skillful means, because the moment that we can actually observe something, we're actually not in the, in the midst of being overwhelmed by it or identified with it. So we create create a sort of dialogue with what is going on. And this is one of the aspects of mindfulness, this, this simple knowing of what is taking place. It is a skillful means and it has a valid purpose, but I think the completion of mindfulness is to actually, with that clarity, with that sense of balance, to step back into experience, the experiential mode of knowing. And the body is the primary way of doing this, of knowing from within, of sensing from within, the life, the aliveness of this body, of this moment. Now, in the Satipatthana Sutta, you know, in, in the discourse on establishing mindfulness, there's a very, very kind of central beginning um, instruction, which says, you know, breathing in, calming the formations breathing out, calming the formations. And initially that doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense because you wonder, well, what are the formations? Well, the formations are the patterns of agitation. The patterns of agitation that register in the body, the patterns of agitation that register in the mind, the pattern of the agitation of selfing so we're breathing in, calming the formations, breathing out, 
calming the formations. And this is really the, this first introduction into stepping out of a world of habit and stepping out of a world of reactivity and stepping out of a world of impulse into a more intentional mode of being, a more intentional way of being present. That we walk calming the formations. We take a step calming the formations. So we're sensitive to how these patterns of agitation and, and really in, in, I think in Buddhist psychology the patterns of agitation pretty much cover all of the tendencies or all of the sankharas that kind of keep us stirred up, you know, keep us uh, kind of on hypervigilance, hyper alert, keep us busy, keep us moving in our life, in a more compulsive way. So this is what we're learning to calm. This is what we're learning to calm. And actually to bring this really as a sort of intentionality into our day, not just on the cushion, but I think even more so off the cushion. You know? We actually see on retreat, you know, we have a certain cloistered space when we sit. You know, there's an element of, of protection there, isn't there, of seclusion, of, of, of containment. But then, of course, we get up off the cushion, just as we do in our life, and we move into a world of so many sensory impress impressions and so many possibilities and choices. You know, we could go here, we could go there, we could do this, we could do that. You know, we could find that our, when our mind is hungry, our sense doors become very hungry. You know, we get very busy with, you know, how do I, how do I solve this agitation by actually having more, getting more, you know, uh, absorbing more. So this is what we're learning to calm. And I think it's so important in a retreat not to, to sense that this practice is something that happens, you know, primarily on a cushion or even primarily in our walking path. That it is this interface with the world that, that is, you know, the nature of our lives. That this is where we're really invited to find some stillness, some stillness. One of my early teachers, one of the first instructions I was ever given was to, to, to find a secluded place with long views. You know? And in a sense, you know, I lived in a Himalayan hillside, you know, it seemed this was already a given, you know, what was this instruction already about? And, and, you know, in a sense, we have that here also, you know, we have a secluded place with some long views. And it actually took me some time to understand that this was really not describing my geographical location. This was actually describing what I cultivated inwardly. And I think the secluded place really is, is the seclusion that is offered by calming, calming the craving, aversion, impulse, reactive patterns, learning actually to bring the mind into a sense of, of present moment experience. This is a seclusion. This is a seclusion. But the long views is, is making sure that that seclusion doesn't turn into a kind of tightness or contractedness. It's a sense of, of spaciousness, of bearing in mind, you know, we, we actually never can measure the, the value of a single sitting. We can never measure the value of a single movement period. You know, we have, there's no sort of definitive markers, you know, where we say, oh, that was a really good sitting or that was a really bad sitting. In many ways, we simply don't know.
But what we do know is what we're cultivating, what kind of qualities of heart, what kind of qualities of mind that we're really cultivating. And when you, you look at the early texts, you know, they are so concerned with this sense of cultivation. You know, we use the word meditation and it can sound very flat, you know, I'm meditating. We can also use the word, the more appropriate and accurate translation of bhavana as we're cultivating, you know, we're bringing into being. And this is something that we, we keep our eye on in the practice and in the day. What is being cultivated? What is being brought into being? It's quite a different orientation. And when you, you look at the early text, what is really being cultivated are all of the qualities of mind that heal, that liberate, that bring spaciousness, that are lovely. You know? We cultivate patience, we cultivate kindness, we cultivate stillness, we cultivate compassion. And this is very, very different than feeling that I'm meditating or even, please, I hope nobody is working on anything. You know, this is often something that we, we can start a retreat with, you know, the projects, my inner projects of what I need to work on. I think in the, in the orientation of the early teachings, it's actually the cultivation of the lovely that releases and relinquishes that which hinders us, that which obstructs us, that which binds us. I think some of the patterns clearly that we encounter in retreat, we encounter in our lives, and we need to be prepared for them and not surprised and it doesn't matter you know if you've practiced for 50 years you're likely to build bump into some of these patterns of the hindrance factors you know they will visit you the hindrance factors are, are what arise when we meet the unfamiliar when we meet the uncomfortable often arise in transition moments in our life often arise when we feel quite challenged these are the moments we find ourselves sinking in into dullness or numbness as a way of dissociating but also be aware sometimes there is you know people often arrive on retreats with considerable life fatigue you know, sometimes you're just tired. Dullness is another kind of, it's a different dimension. It's the mind state of dissociation, the mind state of disappearing, disappearing from, from what is happening, disappearing from where we are into something that feels, you know, more, more safe or more certain. Um, you know, we, we meet the sort of uh, restlessness and the worry. We certainly meet this in the agitation of our bodies, in the agitation of our minds, you know, the almost the addiction we have to, to proliferating and thinking our way through life. You know, you'll certainly meet the, the pattern of aversion, you know, and again, as Suva Cho was saying last night, it's not our murderous thoughts. You know, it's much more just a sense of resistance, of pushing away, of disliking, of not wanting. You know? we, we meet the craving for sensual pleasure. You know, what do we do when we don't like what's going on? We, we get busy in trying to find something more pleasant. And, you know, this is a lifetime preoccupation, isn't it? trying to maximize the degree of pleasantness in our life, trying to minimize the degree of unpleasantness. And in some ways, this is quite human, you know? 
We want to feel good and we don't want to feel bad. However, we start to realize that, you know, this endless pursuit of the pleasant sensation and the pleasant experience really doesn't answer this, this discontent we can experience. Or, or this sense of, of, you know, uncertainty or disappointment, it really doesn't answer it. And of course, there, there is our, our great and familiar friend of doubt, in doubting where we are, doubting what we're doing, doubting, most doubt, I think, is really rooted in self-doubt, doubting our inner capacity for awakening doubting our inner capacity to bring the path to fruition. And doubt makes us waver, you know. Well, what we really see is, is that these patterns are the great saboteurs of intentionality. They are the great causes of dissonance in our life. You know how often in our life we, we find that there's a, a disconnect between what we value and what we aspire to and how we speak and how we think and how we act. And so often this, this disconnect, the hindrances are, are implicated in this disconnect. And you see it in very, very simple levels or very evident levels on retreat, you know, where you, you go out perhaps into a movement period, you know, and all the intention is there, you know, to, to stay on your path and to follow through, you know, and after about 10 minutes, you know, you find yourself being visited by, oh, well, maybe that's enough, you know, and I feel the restlessness, you know, or, you know, I feel the doubt or this isn't working or suddenly I find my attention is captivated by, you know, the, uh, the, the thought of a cup of tea or, you know, I feel the sort of, you know, the aversion, oh, I mean, this is really dull, this is really boring, you know. You know, we actually see the visitations of some of these patterns, you know, and much of, much of the practice is actually learning to navigate our way through, through these patterns. You know, the more I teach, the more I find myself talking about two things a lot, you know, and one of them are the is the hindrance factors and the other is, is metta. You know, because it's very easy to meet hindrance factors with more hindrance factors. And we feel some some sense of restlessness and worry and you know or, or agitation and here comes the aversion or the doubt, you know, or the craving. So it's very easy to layer hindrance factors upon hindrance factors. And it's really recognizing the universality, I think, of these patterns, you know. They can feel very, very personal. But actually they're they're central to every emotional and psychological storm in our life. You know, they're central to the moments of dissonance we encounter. You know, they're central to the perpetuation of discontent. And they're certainly central to forgetfulness. The hindrance factors make us forgetful, forgetful of, of what we're doing, forgetful of why we're doing it, forgetful of, of, of actually being present. So I, I think, you know, it, it's very important to incorporate us, I think, into our days here, you know, an awareness that the, the mind is such a fluid process, isn't it? The heart is such a fluid process. And there is that which is lovely and spacious and and delightful, and much of that, much also in that process, we see the movement of some of these patterns that, of, uh, you know, patterns that generate a lot of agitation. And this is what we're learning to calm. Calming the agitation, 
coming back to this present moment recollection, gathering our attention from, from places and from fields that really don't serve us well, and coming back to this present moment, actually, that has the potential to nourish and, and to support and to nurture our, our deepest aspirations and our deepest values. And so much of this path is, is about kind of moving from this forgetfulness into this sense of remembering. And that has, you know, so many levels, you know, sati or mindfulness has such a central theme of remembering. And it's not only remembering to be present, it's remembering how we are present. It's remembering our attitude of kindness and care and tenderness. It's remembering the capacities we have for perseverance, for, for patience, for understanding. And it's remembering you know, our deepest aspirations for, for wakefulness. So this is how, in many ways, this is how we not only begin in retreat, but this is such a, a central feature in the whole development of the path, isn't it? This quality of learning to remember. Learning to remember where we are, how we are here, and why we're here. So today is a beginning. Today is a beginning for many of you, not all of you, but today is a beginning. So having patience with this arriving process, yeah. having patience with your own mind, having patience with your own process of arriving. You know, that this kind of steadiness of the practice, the steadiness of the cultivation, is really what, what, we, what we rely upon, I think, in, in the path. So I wish you a very lovely day of practice. Be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.